Talking benefits. 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 Talking. Talking. Talking benefits. You're listening to Talking Benefits, the podcast brought to you by the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans. Every month, we dive into retirement, healthcare, hot topics and trends, and whatever else the benefits industry throws at us. I'm Justin Held. I'm Julie Stick. I'm Ann Patterson. Let's talk benefits. Welcome to another episode of Talking Benefits. In this episode, we're going to cover a topic we touched on during our 2023 year-end trends episode, which is family-forming benefits. This topic needed its own episode. For sure. There are lots of issues surrounding this topic, so let's go. All right. So let's start by defining what we mean by family-forming benefits. Uh, What type of benefits are included under this collective term? Any benefit that is helpful in assisting workers in starting or growing a family. And it can take the form of specific benefit offerings or time off on either a paid or unpaid basis. Now, traditionally, when we've thought about this type of benefit, we've thought about fertility benefits. And when we've thought about fertility, we've thought about infertility. Now, certainly fertility benefits involve the actual diagnosis of infertility, and they cover much more. An array of tests and services like physical exams, medications, lab tests, and visits with counselors, as well as genetic testing, in vitro fertilization, also known as IVF, non-IVF treatments, and egg harvesting and freezing. And according to a report released by the World Health Organization last year, about 17.5% of the adult population, roughly one in six worldwide, experience infertility. Yes. And again, traditionally, if fertility benefits were offered by employers in the past, they usually required a diagnosis of infertility before they kicked in. Infertility is a very real issue, but the scope is much broader than an opposite sex couple experiencing trouble conceiving. There are other reasons people might need fertility benefits. Uh, Julie mentioned egg harvesting and freezing. The same can be said for sperm. There are many reasons why fertility preservation would be needed if conception is delayed. Delays can be caused by illness or financial constraints or because of waiting to find a partner or to reach career goals, for example. Now, there's growing awareness that an infertility diagnosis as an entry point for fertility benefits kicking in doesn't make sense in all situations. Fertility assistance may well be needed by a single person or by a same-sex or transgender couple wanting to become parents. And as I mentioned in our year-end episode, uh, another type of benefit to consider is a surrogacy reimbursement program. And this is a benefit that may particularly appeal to LGBTQ plus employees. While many different families consider surrogacy for different reasons, it is the only biological pathway for parenting for some LGBTQ or queer couples or individuals. As we also mentioned in that episode, another area to focus on is adoption. Employers may offer resource and referral services and or financial assistance. And then there's leave, which we'll talk about a little later in the episode. So let's go ahead and share some data about um, how many employers cover fertility benefits. Uh, We asked about this in our biennial survey, the Employee Benefits Survey, which was last conducted in 2022. We found that 40% of our respondents offer some sort of fertility benefit. And of those that offer this type of benefit, most commonly are physician office visits, physical exams, and the infertility diagnosis itself. Those are offered by about 80%. 
IVF is offered by 74% and fertility medications are offered by 70%. About two in five cover non-IVF treatments and genetic testing, and a third offer visits with counselors and egg harvesting and freezing services. Switching to adoption assistance, the survey found that 19% of organizations offer financial assistance for adoption. Okay, so why might employers offer family-forming benefits? As with all types of benefits, these can be important for employee recruitment and retention. We mentioned the need for assistance by single persons and LGBTQ plus couples. So offering this type of benefit demonstrates an employer's support for diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. From a practical perspective, when an employee is struggling with infertility or other family-forming challenges like delays during the adoption process or incurring costs tied to IVF, their work may suffer. Productivity loss, absenteeism, and presenteeism may be alleviated if employers provide benefits. And offering this type of benefit supports employees' mental and financial well-being. That's right. And uh, speaking of financials, a major consideration for both employers and employees is cost. While costs vary, one round of IVF can be $20,000 or more. And if a donor egg is used, the costs increase from there. Typically, it takes about two or three rounds to achieve a successful pregnancy. Surrogacy can cost up to $150,000. And adoption can run $20,000 to $45,000. So it's no wonder that employees are looking for help. And these costs figure into employers' consideration about offering these benefits, if they should offer them, and up to how much. One of the challenges is that employers often don't know the extent of the need among their employees. Is this a benefit that will be rarely used, widely used? Will it break the bank? Certainly, employees are not always comfortable talking at work about family building. Now, one consideration when looking at the high costs of IVF, when paying for treatment on their own without an employer's help, a person may choose to implant multiple embryos with the hope that one will result in pregnancy on the first try. Now, this could result in a high-risk multiple pregnancy, and this in turn could lead to health complications for the mother, premature births, congenital abnormalities, and the need for neonatal and ongoing care. These challenges can lead to higher costs than a more measured approach with more than one round of IVF. Julie, if employers are looking to add or enhance fertility benefits, what should they do? Well, I'll quickly comment, according to Resolve, a fertility association, as of September 2023, 21 states plus Washington, D.C. have passed fertility insurance coverage laws. Now, 15 of those laws include IVF coverage and 17 cover fertility preservation for iatrogenic, I don't know if I pronounced that right, right. which is <laughs> medically induced infertility. Now, fully insured plans will need to follow these laws, but self-funded employers don't need to. And when researching this benefit, uh, employers should look at the data tied to their plan and employee population. Uh, look at your birth rates, uh, the number of pregnancies, the number of multiple births, pregnancy costs, as well as the utilization of maternity, paternity, family, and adoption leave. Employers should also talk to their insurance carrier, their brokers, and their consultants about options and costs. They may, they may also want to discuss this with a fertility support specialty vendor. Now, due to the high costs, employers typically include some limitations on the benefits, either based on the number of cycles 
or a flat dollar amount. Generally, tying limits to cycles is considered a better practice because of what I mentioned earlier, the risk of health or pregnancy complications, multiple births, or miscarriage. So let's take a quick break before we talk about our next topic, which is leave. We have a webcast coming up on March 25th that's called Supporting the Fertility Life Cycle with Benefits. Just a reminder, webcasts are free for International Society and International Foundation members. It's one of the many perks that members receive on top of personalized research services, a daily email featuring trending industry news, research reports, and much more. Visit ifebp.org membership to learn more. Okay, let's talk about another important component of family forming benefits, and that's leave. We recently released a new survey report on paid leave. One of the main categories we looked at was paid parental leave types. Above and beyond the more traditional types of leave, like maternity, paternity, family, and adoption, we asked about bonding, surrogacy, foster care, and more. That's right, Anne. The most commonly offered type of paid leave is for adoption at 76%. At about two-thirds of respondents, we saw maternity, paternity, and family paid leave above and beyond legal requirements tied to FMLA. Paid bonding leave, which is a gender-neutral leave to care for a new child, is offered by 70% of respondents. Now we asked a follow-up to the bonding leave question. Who can make use of that leave? And we found that most often it's adoptive or foster parents, but also surrogate parents, the intended parent, not the surrogate themselves. And a small percentage offer this type of leave to grandparents too. We found that half of our respondents offer paid foster care leave, 30% offer paid surrogate leave for the intended parents, and 28% offer paid leave after a miscarriage. A small percentage offer paid leave for fertility treatment. And in our 2022 benchmarking survey, we looked at unpaid leave for family building as well. In most cases, unpaid leave was offered by one quarter or fewer of respondents. At the higher end was family parental leave beyond FMLA requirements at 27% and adoption at 22%. Foster care was at 15% and miscarriage leave was at 13%. Now, as I mentioned in the year-end episode, unpaid leaves do not break the bank from an employer perspective, but they provide much-needed flexibility from a worker perspective. And I'll say again, please be attentive to any state and or local leave laws. And that will be a wrap for this month's episode. Thank you all for listening. Till next month. If you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes. It helps others find the podcast. And subscribe to the show in your podcast app so that our episodes will automatically appear on your mobile device. Talking Benefits is a production of the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans, the largest educational association for those working in the benefits industry. If you're into benefits, check out all the International Foundation has to offer at ifebp.org. Our show was hosted by Julie Stick, Ann Patterson, and me, Justin Held. Produced by Stacey Van Alstyne and edited by Amanda Gilsmer. Today's program is copyrighted in 2024 by the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans. All rights reserved. The opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and not to be used as legal counsel. Forgot a beverage, but that's okay.
I bet you could go get a beverage. Mm. What is? What are you drinking now? This is seltzer water. Oh, it's pink that's nice. Yes. Do you still do like a diet in the morning? Yes, and that's sitting in my office That'll... waiting for me. But I thought for this, yes. I would bring grapefruit. So your post-podcast treat will be the yes. diet. Yes. I like it. That's nice. it.